Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Hagiga has been dedicated in memory of Hacham Raful Muhaddeb Ben Garaz and Marie Muhaddeb Bat Jamile. Ruah Hashem Tanihem Began Eden Elion Amen. Dedicated by Dr. Isaac and Lily Mahadev Hashem Ishmirim Vihayim Amen. Daf Yud. Today's Daf is being studied the Alun Shmat Avraham ben Esther. Ruwa Hashem Tanihanu Began Aden Amen. Today's Daf is being studied the Ainun Shmat and Niftar Bikitsuri Amin Vishanim Ezra ben Tune Mazal. Ruwa Hashem Tanihanu Began Aden Utinishmato Tsurura Besura Hayim Amen. We begin today's daf on Yud Amud Rishon, and we're at the third line, starting with the pasuk. The Gemara quotes a pasuk from Zechariah, and the pasuk says, "Ve'leyotze uleba en shalom," which literally means "ve'leyotze" to the one that goes out, "ve'leba," and the one that comes in, "en shalom." He has no peace. So what is the Gemara's derasha on this pasuk? So the Gemara is going to be Doresh regarding a person that entered the study of Torah and then exited it to a different form of study of Torah. And the Gemara is going to say that when one changes his curriculum in certain cases, even if it's from one form of Torah to another form of Torah, it can bring him to no peace. Amar Rav, Rav explains, Kevan Chiyotse Adam Midvar Alaka, Lidvar Mikra, Shuv En Lo Shalom. When a person goes through uh, from the study of Halakha, and instead of studying Halakha, he goes to the study of Mikra, of Pesukim. So Rashi says, She'en Hora'am Midvar Mikra. One cannot come out to halakhal ma'aseh, conclusions, from the Pesukim, from the Mikra. Sham Mishnah mefareshet stimata Torah, because it's the Mishnah, really, Torah Shema that gives us the true interpretation of the Torah Shema So a person that goes from studying Mishnayot, and then he stops studying Mishnayot, and he goes to study Mikra and Shalom, he will find no peace, because he's going from a more explicit curriculum of Torah Shema to a more uh, cryptic learning, which is the Torah Shebekhtab, which has no interpretation without the Torah Shebaal Peh. Shmuel Amar, Zeaporesh mitalmud le Mishnah. Shmuel says that even if one is Poresh from studying Gemara, the Talmud, and he goes to Mishnah, he does not find peace. Because even the Mishnayot cannot be understood unless one studies the Talmud. Like Rashi says, Mitamud le Mishnah, im shimej ta'akamim. If he serves and studies with the Hakamim, she'en b'dakdekim, liten ta'am Mishnayot. Because the rabbis of the Gemara, they're careful to give the reasons of the Mishnayot. Le'avina Mishnayot, as-sutrot zo'edzu, they explain the contradictory Mishnayot, ve'lemsot ta'am leftor, ve'lechoba, they give you the reasons why one opinion says patur, one opinion says choba, le'isur heter, why one opinion says asur, one says mutar. That curriculum is called Talmud. If a person leaves the study of Talmud, he just reads Mishnayot, he's not going to have peace, which means he's not going to come to the proper conclusions. Because a person cannot come out to the proper conclusions in Halakha from the Mishnayot alone. A lot of Mishnayot, their words are not understood. And therefore the rabbis of the Shas explained and answered the questions against the Mishnayot. Like sometimes it says, what are we talking about? That's Many times we see the Gemara changes the text of the Mishnah. Or the Gemara will tell us who's the author of the Mishnah. So we'll know if we follow the Halakha or not. So therefore, there's no shalom from somebody that goes from the Talmud to the Mishnah. Lastly, Rabbi Hanan Amar, Afidu Mishas Le Shas. Even if a person goes from the study of one Talmud 
to the study of another Talmud. As she gives an example, Mishas Yerushalmi, Lishas Babli. Which means a person goes from the study of the Jerusalem Talmud, then he goes to study the Babylonian Talmud. As she says, Shu'amok, the Babylonian Talmud is very deep. Kedamrinam Besanedrin, like the the Midrash compares it to darkness, because it's very difficult. So therefore when one goes from Yerushalmi to Babli, although that's a good thing, but the Gemara is saying he's not going to have peace, because it's very difficult. Tosfot says it can even be the opposite. Even if he goes from Babli to Yerushalmi, he will not find peace if he did not yet study the Babli correctly. He did not finish his studying in the Babli, so he doesn't have uh, full understanding. So when he moves on to the next version, he will not have peace. That she transforms languages. Right? He didn't understand the first Gemara that he studied. Which means the Tosfot's understand doesn't matter where he goes. If he goes from Yerushalmi to Babli or Babli to Yerushalmi, the point is he's not going to have Shalom unless he understands fully what he is learning. Comes the next Mishnah. Heter nedarim porchim ba'avir ve'en na'em alma shi'ismochu. Which literally means the law of Hatarat nedarim. A person makes a vow. We know the Torah gives a person the ability to make a vow to forbid something upon him. However, we are discussing now the ability of the person to release himself from the vow. How does a person release himself from a vow? So he goes to a rabbi, let's say, and he tells the rabbi that he wants to be released. And the rabbi says, on what basis? So he says, well, had I known this and this and this, I might not have taken the vow in the first place. So that rabbi has the ability to absolve him, and release him from the vow. That's called heter nedarim. So the Mishnah says, porhim ba'avir. Literally, they hover in the air. Which means, and there's really no scriptural support for that halakha. Which means it's not documented in the Torah. Meaning there's no clear pasuk in the Torah that tells us this concept of atarat nedarim. Yes, the rabbis have taught us in the Gemara, in Masech nedarim, the whole principle of how a nedar can be uh, make atarah. However, it's the Gemara Mishnah is telling us this is one of the laws that there's not too much scriptural support. Let's read Rashi. Heter nedarim porchim ba'avir. Atarat nedarim shamrachamim shacham matirat neder me'at remes yesh b'mikra. Means there's very few uh, scriptural hints to this principle from the Torah. Ve'en almal lesmoch. We really have no text to rely on. Ela shechet masul hachamim b'Torah shemal peh. Yeah, we have a tradition from the rabbis in Torah shemal peh that that's what it is. So that's the first law of the Mishnah. The laws of atarat nedarim. Halchot Shabbat, the laws of Shabbat, Hagigot, the laws of Korban Hagiga, they are Me'ilot. Me'ilot is the laws where somebody uh, uses consecrated property for secular purposes. That's called the laws of Me'ila. Harem, these laws are similar, Kehararim, like mountains, Hatiluim Besara, that are being suspended by a hair. Which means a mountain obviously is very big. Here is nothing, it's very small. So the, what's the analogy? Shehen mikra mu'at. Because on these three subjects, Shabbat, Hagiga, and Mi'ila, there's few pesukim that talk about these subjects. Valachot mirubot. But there's an abundance of alachot. As we know, the, all the laws of Shabbat, and the laws of Qurban Hagiga, and the laws of Mi'ila. So you see over here, that this would be compared to a big mountain that's being suspended by a small little hair. A lot of halachot being suspended by a few pesukim. Rashi, yesh ben halachot shen tiluyot beremez. That halachot that are just alluded to in the scripture. Mekram mu'at, kararim atiluyim besarot rosh. Right in the hair of one's head. Hadinin ve'avodot so now the Mishnah says, Dinim, which is monetary law. Avodot is the laws of Korbanot. 
Hatarot, that's the laws of purity. Vatimeot, the laws of contamination. Ba'arayot, those are the laws of illicit relationships. Yesh lehem al-mashi yismochu. When it comes to these laws, it has real scriptural support, which is pesukim, that are not just illusions, but actual pesukim that can support these laws. And these are the fundamentals of Torah. But I was going to ask, what, only this last group is the fundamentals of the Torah? Everything is fundamental to Torah. And that will be the Gemara's question. The other cases that we said in the Mishnah are not considered fundamental to the Torah. So we'll wait for that Gemara's question. And so basically what the purpose of this Mishnah is, it's discussing different laws in the Torah, and it's saying how well supported it is in the uh, Pesukim. Is it uh, based on uh, facts, scriptural sources, or just a remez? So now the Gemara says, Tanya, we have a Braita. Rabbi Eliezer Omer. Rabbi Eliezer says, Yesh lahem al mash yismochu. says, what do you mean? How could you tell me that the law of Atarat Darim does not have scriptural support? What do you mean? It has a lot to rely on. Shana Imar, because we have, in the Torah it says, Ki yafli, ki yafli, when the Torah talks about the laws of the Nedir, it says the word twice. Kiyafli, kiyafli, which literally means when a person will utter, utter a vow. And it says it twice. Now, why would it have to say this word twice? One, it says by Erchin, as she says, that's when a person vows his value to donate it to the Bet HaMikdash, that's the law of Erchin. Ve'had ben Nazir. And one is talking about a Nazir that takes a vow of Nizirut. So the Gemara says, Kiyafli, Kiyafli. It says twice when a person shall utter, when a person shall utter. So the Gemara says, one utterance is representing when he makes a vow to forbid something on himself. And the second utterance is when he goes to the rabbi to get a heter, to release himself from the neder. So therefore it's, it's hinted in the Torah. Kiyafli, kiyafli, the two utterances. One is an utterance to put the neder on him. The second utterance is to release himself. Let's read Rashi. Ehad really means to make an utterance, an explicit or clear utterance. That's really the proper language. Hafla is a clear utterance. Like the Targum explains, When one will explicitly say, Benedir, what is talking about where he forbade himself in a nether? And the second utterance clearly is when he goes to the rabbi. I vowed. And I vowed on these premises. But on this premise that came up now, I did not vow. Therefore he has regret. And through that he's able to get a release. So the Gemara is saying, according to Rabbi Yehazir, there is actually a source. Rabbi Yeshua Amir, he brings another proof. Olam says, regarding the Dor Hamidbar, According to Rashi, Bore Olam made a vow that he's not going to let the Dora Midbar go into Eris Israel. And the Pasuk says, God says, I swore or I vowed in my anger. So what is the word Ba'api coming to tell us? Ba'api Nishba'ati. Yes, I vowed in anger the Hazarti, and therefore I have the ability to retract. So you see that well, how? To the Kabdharim. Once already it said the word ba'api that shows that only because it was an anger. But since it's an anger, that means there's an ability to retract. Nashi. Ashirishbati ba'api me the kamar ba'api from the fact that it says my anger, mashmi yakul adili shail alav. The fish mahmat api velomidam yushivanishbati. Because Borelam Kivyakul would say, no, I, I can retract from the nid because I made it out of anger and not in a settled mind. 
כביכול. יש ללמוד מגאז, we can learn from here, שמוצא פתח לנדרות, for a person finds an opening for his vow, לומר, לא לדעת כן נדרתי, שיקרין דבר זה, I didn't make the vow if I knew this was going to happen, שאני נושא, טבא לא על ידי נדרים, מתירים לו. Right, which means that he'd be able to be absolved. Now, the Tosafot of it doesn't accept Rashi's interpretation because we don't see where God ever retracted from allowing Dora Midbar to go into Eris Israel. Here the Gemara says, Vehazarti, that God says, I retracted. So we have to say in the Rashi that Rashi means that he had the ability to retract, even though he never retracted. Which is, he had the ability to make Katarari, but he never did. According to the Tosafot, he learns this Pasuk is referring to that God made a vow not to allow the generation of the Midbar to enter Olam Abba. And according to one opinion of Masichet Sanhedrin, Borei Olam released himself from that vow Yachol and allowed them to enter Olam Abba. And therefore, I vowed not to let them into Olam Abba, the Hazarti, but since it was made in anger, there was room for Hatarat Nedarim, and therefore Dora Midbar, according to one opinion, Yesh lo chalik na Olam Abba. The Bitzchak Omer, Yesh lo malach Yismok, or the Bitzchak comes along and says, Another proof that there's Hatanat Nedarim in the Torah, Shere Emar, Kol Nediv Libo. It means, when they were uh, collecting for the Mishkan, the Pasuk says, Kol Nediv Libo. Somebody that his uh, heart uh, was willing, brought the donation for the Mishkan. So therefore, that she understands when it says Nediv, meaning so long as his heart was willing, he was bound. But if for some reason, let's say, his heart was not willing, he wouldn't have to give it. But he made a vow. It must be that you're able to make a tada. So again, Nediv Libo, so long as his heart was willing, implying that if his heart wasn't willing, he doesn't have to bring it anymore. How could that be? Again, you have to say there was a concept that he was able to make a tada. Hananiah ben Ahir Rabbi Yoshua Omer. Hananiah, the nephew of Rabbi Yeshua, says, Yesh lehem amashi yismochi. Brings another pasuk, Shneemar, Nishbaati v'akayema, Nishmor mishpete sitkecha. David HaMelech says, Nishbaati, I made a vow, v'akayema, and I will keep it, Nishmor mishpete sitkecha, in order to keep your laws. Now, from the fact that it says, and I will keep it, what do you mean, of course he has to keep it. And the explanation is, no, this is the type of vow that I'm going to keep. Implying that there's other types of vows that a person doesn't have to keep. He doesn't have to be mekayim. Well, how? By making a taradadarim. Amar of Yudah Mar Shemuel. So Yudah Mar Shemuel says, If I was there, and uh, I, I was able to give my opinion, I would have said to the rabbis, That my proof is actually better than yours. Why? What was his proof? So his proof was like this. Which literally means, a person that makes a vow, he's not allowed to profane his word. He cannot make his word whole. Meaning he has to keep his vow. So, right, he cannot profane his words, but others may. What does that mean? That others are able to release him. Meaning the Hakam can release him. So that's a clear pasuk. Lo yachel devaro. He cannot profane his word, but others may. Amar So Rava says, Lechulihu itlihu pircha. All the opinions of the Tanaim that we said above, all of them with their proofs from from the Torah, they have refutation. Levar midishmuel, except for the opinion of Shemuel, which is the Amorah, there is no refutation on his opinion. Now the Gebarah is going to pose the different refutations of the opinions that we just gave. Because if you're going to say to be the Aizir, now what was the be the Aizir's proof? His proof was Kiyafli, Kiyafli. The twice by Nidarim that it says the word Kiyafli that you will explicitly express and utter. So he learned one is an expression of Isur and the other expression is of Heter. Means just like you'll utter a vow, you can utter to the rabbi that you want to release yourself to the vow that you didn't vow on those uh, on those uh, pretenses. So the Gemara says, no, maybe I'll tell the Kiev is teaching you something else. Dilma kid Rabbi Yehuda, Shamar Mishum Rabbi Tafon, Netanya Rabbi Yehuda Amir Mishum Rabbi Tafon, Leolam Ene Had Mehem Nazir. In this case that we're going to discuss now, the people do not become a nazir. Because nazirut is only given. 
on a case where there is clarity that the utterance is clear. What is this talking about? So that she says the case is, let's say two people are sitting. Okay? They're not visiting, they're just sitting. And a fellow walks by them. So one of the fellows says, I will be a Nazir. I will be, make myself a Nazir if this person walking by us is a Nazir. If this guy walking is a Nazir, I'll make myself a Nazir. Make like a condition. The other fellow says, I'll make myself a Nazir if this guy walking by us is not a Nazir. So such a Nazirut, an acceptance of the Nazirut does not hold on the person. It does not work such an acceptance. Why? Because at the time that they accepted upon it on themselves, it was conditional. It wasn't clear. It was sefik. Because it depends on if this guy's walking by, is he a Nazir or not. So at the time of the acceptance, it's not considered hafla'ah. It's not considered a clear utterance. It's still pending. And then, well, that's what the Kiyafli teaches me. That when a person utters himself a vow, it has to be clear. To teach me the hadus by a Nazir. That neither one is a Nazir. Because Nazirut is given the hafla'ah. At the time a person accepts Nazirut, he has to say clearly, I am a Nazir. Not if this guy's walking by. And if he's not, not. Because at the time of the acceptance, it was not a clear utterance. So that's what the Kiyafli, Kiyafli is coming to teach me. The hadush, that the Nazirut has to be accepted explicitly and not through a case where it is a safek, like the case we just gave. So therefore, according to the Bili Aizid, his proof can be refuted. What's the next refutation? Even the Yoshua, if you're going to give me the Yoshua's proof, what was the Yoshua's proof above? His proof was, from the fact that Borei Olam said, right, that I swore about the generation of the Mibad in my anger. So he said, oh, in his anger, so he can retract. But as who said, Which is maybe on the contrary, what God meant, that I have swore in my anger, and therefore I cannot retract. Which means it's just reaffirming that Bode Olam is not going to retract. Which is the api, don't learn it as a hitir that he can retract, but on the contrary, Ba'api tells me, I made this vow, and it's not going to be retracted at all, as it was made, Ba'api. So you have no proof, that one can, uh, which is just showing how angry HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, and he swore that the generation of the Midbaz, that can go to Eris Israel. It does not mean, that if because it was in anger, he could annul it. No. It just means, it's telling us the history. God was angry at that time. And if you're going to tell me the proof of Rabbi Yitzchak. Now Rabbi Yitzchak's proof was, Right? So he said the proof was, that you see, so long as they were willing, then they're obligated to make the donation. Implied that if they're not willing, they're not obligated. How is that possible? They make a tara. Well, maybe, I'll say that the pasuk of that is coming to exclude the opinion of Shemuel. Because Shemuel really holds when a person is making a monetary donation to the Mishkan or to whoever it is, it's not enough for him to make it in his heart. For a vow of money that's being donated to be binding, he has to actually explicitly say it verbally. And the Hadush of the Pasuk is, The Hadush over here is in the Torah's case where we're referring to a person consecrating something to the Mishkan. Consecration to the Mishkan, the Hadush of the Torah was Nidiv Levo. It's enough in his heart. Masha'ikir, all other monetary donations that a person makes, he has to say it explicitly. So therefore you have no proof from here, Nidiv Levo, that it's talking about a case of the Darim. Again, Nidiv Levo, according to Shemuel, means yes. When it came to donating to the Mishkan, which means when a person was consecrating, for example, a Korban or something like that to the Mishkan, then everybody's enough in his heart to do it. Nidiv Levo. However, outside of that donation to the Mishkan, normally a donation has to be made, if it's going to be binding, bisfatav. And therefore, that's what the person is coming to exclude. That here, Nidiv Libo works. But other places, it has to be explicit. So you have no proof for it. Darim. Comes the Gemara continues. So you tell me, maybe some, from uh, the nephew of Rabbi Yoshua. And what was his proof? His proof was Nishbati Vakayima. 
David Amelik says, I will vow, I will swear, and I will keep my swear, implying that I'll keep it, and if I don't want to keep it, I won't. How am I katana? He says, no. How do we know that a person is allowed to make a vow? Meaning, make a vow even as Tosfot says, and he can say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name in the vow. Which means, I'm making a vow to Hashem to keep the mitzvot. Because he wants to inspire himself, he wants to motivate himself, I should say. And therefore, for example, he has a law in the Torah that he has to eat kosher, for example. So, he has to keep it anyway. But when a person makes a personal vow against something, he's prone, in some cases, to take it more seriously. So therefore, how do we know that a person can accept upon himself a vow on something that's already forbidden to him? In order to keep the mitzvot. In order to, to, or let's say to do a positive mitzvah. But he has to go do a positive chesed, let's say. So he can make a vow. I vow to myself in the name of Hashem that I'm going to do this mitzvah. How do we know he can do that? I swore and I will keep your statutes, which means I will make a swear in order to keep your mitzvot. So you see over here again, the pasuk is not coming to tell me that I swore and I'll keep it, implying that there's a case where you don't have to keep it, meaning No, the pasuk is that when it comes to the performance of the mitzvot, even though you're obligated already, a person may make a vow, even using Hashem's name, to, to bind them again to, uh, to, to do the mitzvah. So therefore that can be refuted. So bottom line, the Gemara systematically refuted each one of the proofs that we just mentioned. Kiyafli from the B'di Aizu, we said that could be teaching me that Ibn Nazir has to make a explicit Neder, not implicit by saying, if this guy's a Nazir, then I'll be one, and if he's not, I won't be. No, that's not explicitly, except that it has to be clear. According to the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua that said, It just means that God said, I made a vow and I was angry. It's not saying that because I was angry I could, I could retract. No, he's just saying that he was angry at the time that he made the vow. According to the opinion of Konediv Libo, yes, that's only the person can make a vow in his heart, that's when he's consecrating something to the Mishkan. But otherwise, the Hanush has to do it with the he has to make a verbal acceptance. And on the pasuk of Nishbati Vakayema, so I can say, yeah, oh, that's just teaching me that a person can make a vow in order to motivate himself to do a mitzvah. So all these were refuted. So the Gemara says, But Shemuel's opinion that said, which we explained to mean that he shall not profane his words, but others may profane his words, which means they may release him. There is no refutation. So that really is the best out of all the proofs. This is what the people say. That a uh, a sharp pepper is better One sharp pepper is better than a basket full of melons. Which means a sharp pepper, it's very small a pepper. In regard to the other rabbis, Shemuel was an Amorah. And all the other rabbis were Tanaim. And therefore, Ravah says, one small pepper, like one Amorah, is worth than, better than a basket full of melons. Meaning in all the opinions of these Tanaim, that obviously were much greater than him, but his, his reason is much better. Comes the Gemara and continues. So we said, the laws of Shabbat, our Mishnah said, there are many laws that really do not have scriptural support to them. They're halachot, merubot, a lot of halachot, but they're hanging on a hair. So the Gemara wants to say, what are you talking about? Hilchot Shabbat, mikhtav ketivan. What do you mean? The Torah clearly tells us several times about the isur of doing melachah on Shabbat. So what do you tell me there's no scriptural support? There's a couple of times the Torah tells us the isur of Shabbat. It says, no, 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 we're talking about cases like Rabbi Abba talked about. Let's say a person digs a hole in the floor of his house on Shabbat. But he's digging the hole not for the hole. He's doing it. He needs the dirt. Now one of the melachot on Shabbat is boneh. 
One is to construct. Now normally when a person digs a hole, he'll be hayavat shabbat, because that's considered construction. But that's only if he wants the hole. Here the hidush is, he doesn't want the hole. He needs the dirt. So the hidush is that a person who digs a hole on Shabbat, and he doesn't need the dirt. He doesn't need only the dirt. Which means, he needs the dirt. He doesn't need the hole. The hidush is patur alea. He's going to be exempt. Exempt from what? Meaning exempt from A, Korban. Because that's not considered a constructive purpose. Because he's doing it just for the dirt. He doesn't care about the hole that was formed. And therefore, he's going to be patur. And who's that follow? The Gemara says, Keman, Kerebi Shimon, that follows the opinion of Rebbe Shimon the Amar, Melacha Shena Sedika Legufa, Patur Aliyah. Which means, we learned the Masek and Shabbat, what is a Melacha Shena Sedika Legufa? A person does a Melacha and Shabbat, but we're not going to call it constructive. Meaning, his intention is not for the constructive Melacha per se, it's for another reason. For this case over here. He doesn't care about the hole in the ground, which means he might have rather that there's no hole in the ground in the first place. He just needs the dirt. So they, but that's like considered a constructive melacha, for a constructive purpose. Similarly, the Gemara gives the case of Masikat Shabbat, where a person is carrying out a dead body on a stretcher on Shabbat. So the Gemara says over there, he carries him in the public domain, he's going to be exempt from carrying. Why? Because you're really not... The purpose of carrying him is not for the purpose of constructively carrying and moving something from one domain to another. You just want to get rid of him from the house because it smells. You would have rather not to move him in the first place. But what? You have no choice. So since it's not really for the constructive melacha of carrying, according to Rabbi Shimon, you don't need the actual constructive melacha purpose. I don't need the whole. That's the constructive melacha. I don't need the carrying per se. So therefore, according to Rashi, in all these, that's where Rashi understands melacha. I don't need it for the constructive melacha. And I would have rather that have to do it. I'd rather there was no hole in my house to get the dirt. I'd rather the person didn't die that I would have to bring him out. And therefore, this is the Hiddush, that this law, it's really not written anywhere in the Torah, but that's what it is. The person is going to be patur in such a case. So the Gemara says, oh, it's not only according to the Bishamon. I mean, the Bishamon is not the only one that would exempt in the case of the digging of the hole just for the dirt purpose. Afilu which means even according to the Bihudah, the Bihudah's opinion was that a melachat shena sinichagufah is hayav. Which is he held that even if you don't care for the purpose, for the outcome of the melacha, even though it wasn't your intention, he still says you're hayav. However, hata mitakin, that's only when you're doing something that is positive, even if that wasn't your intent. However, but over here, it's double. Number one, you don't care... Your intention was not for the hole, but it's worse. You're destroying. Person doesn't want to make a hole in his in his house. And therefore, when it's a case of a melachah in a sinichal gufa, normally the biudah would say hayav. I don't care if you didn't care for the result. Which means when you're carrying the dead body out, according to the biudah, hayav. Even though you don't care per se about the carry, you just want to get him out of the house. Doesn't matter. Bottom line, you carried according to biudah, you hayav. But here, true, you didn't care for the. Hole doesn't matter. So you should to be with should be hayav. No, but here it's worse because the hole is considered a destructive act. You ruined. Uh, it was an act of ruination, and that cannot be considered bone. Because the purpose of bone is what constructive. This is not constructive. This is destruction of it. You destroyed it. And the Biudah says, if it's a melacha she'ena sinicha legufa with a kilkul with a destructive, he'll also say patur. So there is really no source. For these halachot from the Torah itself. So the Gabriel says, My kararina teluin besara. So what did the Mishnah mean? That the laws of Shabbat are like a mountain that's suspended in the air. So the Gabriel says what we just said. Melechet machshevet asla Torah, umelechet machshevet loketiva. Which literally means on Shabbat only a calculated labor is a sur. What does it mean a calculated labor? Like I explained to you, which means a person has to do the melacha, he has to have kabana for the melacha. Just like in the Mishkan, when they did the melachot, they didn't do it by default. Every melacha they did, they had intent for that constructive melacha. 
Mashiachin in this case over here, for example, digging the hole. He doesn't care for the digging. He just cares for the dirt. That's not considered a melechet machshevet. And therefore, or carrying the dead body out. He doesn't care for the carrying. He's supposed to get rid of the body. He would rather like it didn't happen. Look at the top rashi. Shamachshava chashva bedato on Shabbat to be considered chayav has to be calculated. Veze lo nitkaven la libinyan. He didn't care for the constructive building. Lefikach patur. Veze remez muat. But there's really no allusion to this law in the Torah. Because the law of positive kavanah for a constructive act is written in the Mishkan. Now we learn the laws of Shabbat from the Mishkan. Okay, but that's not a clear allusion anymore. So therefore, what the Gemara says to review, when the Mishnah says the law of Shabbat is like a law hanging, a mountain hanging on a hair's breadth, it's referring to the law of Melechet Machshevet, constructive positive act to be Hayav. And therefore, since it's learned from the Mishkan, it's not explicitly, because the Mishkan, all the Melechot they did was for constructive purpose. They did the Melechot not by default. They did it because they wanted to do it. So therefore, that's the law of Melechet Machshevet, uh, it, it, it is, and if it's not Melechet Machshevet, Turaz Poter, and even in this case over here, Rabbi Yudah will agree that the Melachah, that you didn't need its purpose, in the case of Kilkul will also be patur, and all these laws are just alluded with few is. Comes the Gebara continues. Now we're going to discuss the law of Hagigot. We said in the Mishnah that the laws of Qurban Hagigah, that on the first day of the holiday after the Qurban Hagigah, there's really no allusion to it in the Torah. So Gebara really talking about Mikhtav Kitivan. It's written, it's a pasuk, which means, doesn't the pasuk say, v'hagotem oto, hag l'ashem? And we learned above that, v'hagotem oto means you have to bring a Quran hagigah. How can you tell me there's no scriptural proof? Kabbalah says, lo tzirika l'ikhtabar l'ira papa l'abayim. I'll tell you, maybe it's like the papa said, mimaydai v'hagotem oto hag l'ashem sivicha. Who told you that when it says, v'hagotem oto hag? Who told you means, bring a korban? Dilma chogu haga ka'amarachmana. Maybe it just means, go make a party. God saying on the, on the first day of the holiday, celebrate. Hoggu Haga. Rashi says, Larbot Simcha. Tosfot says the word Haga means like to dance. I mean, who told you that the word Vahagotemoto means to bring a sacrifice? I can tell you maybe Vahagotemoto means just to celebrate. Oh, the Gemara is Elam Ata. So if you're going to tell me that the word Vahagotem means just to celebrate, to party, maybe you'll tell me now, Dikhtiv, Viahogu Liba Midbar. When Borei uh, Olam told the Jewish people, or Moshe Rabbeinu was telling Paro in Egypt, that God wants us to go into the Midbar, Viahogu Liba Midbar. That's what it meant, that God was telling B'nai Israel that He wants us to go just celebrate in the Midbar. Maybe it'll be, yeah. That also, that word hagigah over there also doesn't mean a korban. It just means to celebrate. What do you mean? But the pasuk says, "Vayomer Moshe, gam atat titen biyadenu zevachim veolot." What do you mean? But but Moshe Rabbeinu tells Paro that when we're going to go celebrate, you're going to give us sacrifices. So that implies that the word hagigah means sacrifice, because Moshe Rabbeinu told Paro, "You're going to give us animals also," implying what animals to sacrifice. So therefore, the word hagotem must mean korban. That God was telling Moshe Rabbeinu to tell the Jews in the Midbar, come in front of me, eat and drink and celebrate. And one of the things you'll eat is sacrificial meat. But the point is that you're going to celebrate. Maybe just means to Make a party. Who told you it means to sacrifice kurbanot? And that which Moshe says, you're going to give us meat, you're going to give us meat to eat for the party. But who says it's a mandatory kurban? No, we would not think such a thing. Because by the kurban, by Yom Tov it says, a person should not leave over the meat of the kurban, until the morning. If you tell me that when it said, it means make a party, what, is there any leftover meat from a party? If you tell me it's not talking about sacrificial meat, so what is the Torah telling me that you cannot leave over from the meat? You told me it's not talking about a kurban. You told me it's talking about just making a party, just celebrating. 
Because if you tell me the Hagotim Oto, Haglat Shem just means make a party. So what is the person with Loyalin Chedem Hagi Al Bokeh that don't leave the sacrificial meat until the morning? I thought you told me there's no sacrificial meat, you're just making a party. Vedilma Achikama Rahmana, Helev Abba Bisman Hag Loyalin. Maybe it means like this. You're right, at the time of the celebration, if you happen to bring a korban, that type of korban you cannot leave until the morning. So there's a certain law that you have to burn it by the morning. So maybe the person is telling like this. The hagotemoto means party, celebrate. Nothing to do with korban hagiga, celebrate. Now if at the time of your celebration you're going to decide to bring in a korban, let's say you want to eat it to enjoy yourself, fine. Do not leave over that meat of the uh, holiday korban that you brought until the morning. So what are you going to tell me now? That the law of not leaving over the Qurban till the morning only applies to something that comes on the holiday? But if I bring a Qurban outside the holiday, I can leave it over till the morning? That can't be. We have a clear pasuk that says that the olah that they would put on the Mizbayah stays on the Mizbayah. You put it on the Mizbah in the evening and you burn it. Means once the night comes, a person has to burn it until the morning. And once the morning comes, it's finished. You're not, no, no, it's, 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 not, it's forbidden to be used anymore. Which means the Qurban only has a, a, a purpose, function till the morning. And this applies to all Qurbanot. Not only to the Qurbanot on the holiday, the Qurbanot all year long. Like Rashi says, she says, This is the Qurban It stays on the fire the whole night. Which means, you're only allowed to put the Qurbanot that was slaughtered on that day on the Mizbeah at night. However, once the morning comes, it's forbidden to put on the Mizbeah. So you see the law of Notar applies not only to the Qurbanot that were brought on the holiday per se, that were brought to that were brought the whole year. So therefore, again, let's just get where we're holding at this point. So therefore, at this point, we're saying you can't tell me that lo yalin halif hagi adbokir means do not leave the the korban hagi do not leave the sacrificial meat that you brought on the holiday until the morning, implying that only sacrificial meat that you brought on the holiday you cannot leave it until the morning. That's not so, and all year long you can't leave it. And therefore, lo yalin chalev hagi must be talking about the, specifically. It's talking about korban hagiga. From there, we're going to learn that it says v'hagotem oto. That means you have to be a korban hagiga, and it doesn't mean just to make a party. Because we want to say maybe v'hagotem oto just means celebrate. How to celebrate? Celebrate, be happy. And what is lo yalin chalev hagi? If in your celebration you're going to have to bring a sacrifice on the holiday, don't leave that sacrifice till the morning. Implying that what all year long you can leave sacrifices till the morning. That's not so. All year long we have a law, Adab Boker, that you cannot leave any sacrifices in the morning. So the Gibran said, Dilma, Imahi, if you only had the Pasuk of, Kolalayla Adab Boker, Hava Minahu La'aseh. Yeah, maybe that's a mitzvah aseh, meaning it's a positive commandment. All year long, there's a positive commandment saying what? That you cannot, you, you have to uh, use the meat by the morning. By a korban olah, you have to burn it by the morning. By other korban you have to eat it by the morning. That's a positive commandment. Ketav rahmana haililav. And maybe loyalin is a lot ta'aseh. Meaning, like this, when it comes to the holiday, the sacrificial meat that you bring on the holiday, it's a lot ta'aseh. She's really, I'll tell you, v'hagotemoto means party, celebrate. Nothing to do with korban hagiga. Now, in your celebration, you might bring a korban. Okay, because that's how you celebrate. Not a mandatory hagiga, and the pasuk is just telling you lo yalin on the you, on the holiday is a special lo tasi. There's an aseh all year round. That's ada laila ada boker. Kola laila ada boker. That's an aseh all year long for not leaving over meat. But on the holiday, the meat that you bring, that's a lo tasi, right? Ve'uktiv rachmana hayd lelav. So the Gemara says lelav ketav kara halina. What do you mean for a lo tasi? We have another pasuk. So what are you talking about? We clearly have a lotase pasuk. It says the meat that you have on the holiday, you cannot leave it until the morning. So clearly we have a pasuk that tells me that what? That you cannot leave over the meat until the morning. We have a lot of already. So therefore, what is loyal in head of Hagi? That Hagi must be talking about the Qurban. Hagi ga. Kibra says, no. Vedilma la'avon alav. Bishne lavin ve'ase. 
<laughs> the Gemara says, no, maybe I'll tell you like this. Maybe the Hadush is all year long, if a person leaves over, he just transgresses an Aseh, a positive commandment. That's all year long, you shouldn't leave over Korbanot. On the holiday, we have two Pesukim. Lo yalin hagi. Do not leave over any sacrificial meat that you brought on the holiday. And I have another Pesuk. Lo yalin basar. To bring me a second love. Maybe there's two loves, which is a hadush. Maybe I'll tell you, really, it means just to celebrate. Nothing to do with Kurban Hagiga. Celebrate, be happy. Now, how do you be happy? You bring sacrifices. You could bring sacrifices and eat them. Not because it's a Hagiga per se. Just bring sacrifices to be happy. And what? I have in Isu, do not leave over that sacrificial meat till the morning. And it says it twice. To teach me that you get two sins, two lot asses. There's all year long, you just get a asset. Right? The holiday is, nothing to do with hagiga, but the meat that you'll bring on the holiday, there's Isu to leave it over, and there's two different pesukim to tell me two navim. So, the bottom line, we cannot prove yet from the pesuk ba'agotem oto hagla Hashem that it's talking about a korban hagiga. Yabara says, this final. Proof is midbar midbar. Uh, we have a gezera shava midbar midbar to teach me that what has to be in korban hagiga. Ketiv hacha. It says by Moshe Rabbeinu via hogli b'midbar. Right? Moshe tells to Paro that God wants us to the hoguli wants us to do a hagiga in the midbar. Uchtivatam and it says in the navi hazivahim umin hai gashtem liba midbar. Did you bring me sacrifices in the midbar? Oh, so both pesukim. What pesuk says via hoguli ba midbar? And what pesuk says did you bring me sacrifices in the midbar? Ma'ala lan zivahim. Just like in the pesuk of the navi, it says. Zivahim in the Midbar, did you bring me sacrifices in the Midbar? And it's talking about sacrifices, Korbanot. Afghan Zivahim. So too, when it says via Hogudiba Midbar, it means a Korban Hagiga, Midbar, Midbar. Umay Karina Tilim Besara. So the Gibbara then says, So what are you telling me there's no source? That it's like a, a law that's hanging on a hair. It's a beautiful Gizra Shiva, Midbar, Midbar. So the Gibbara says, Devre Torah, Devre Kabbalah, Lo Yalfinan. Because normally we don't learn Torah law from Nabi. Here, the base of this Gizra Shiva Midbar Midbar is from the Navi. It's a pasuk from Navi. So, therefore, it's really not a great Gizra Shiva in the sense we normally don't learn Torah law from Navi. That's why the Mishnah says it's hanging on a hair's breadth. So, let's review very quickly the Shaklavet Tariya of this last piece of Gemara. Now that we read it inside, what does review it outside? Basically, Gabbara was saying that the laws of Hagiga, no explicit proof. It's hanging on a hair's breadth. So the Gabbara says, what are you talking about? It says, Vahagotemoto. Vahagotemoto clearly says in the Torah, in the first day, bring a Hagiga. So the Gabbara's Havamina was to say, maybe Vahagotemoto just means celebrate. Hoggu Hagga. Just like when Moshe Rabbeinu told the Bar'o, means just celebrate. Doesn't say bring a Qur'an Hagigah, And I'll tell you that when it says in the Pasuk that Bar'o is going to give us animals, it just means yeah, not uh, for Qur'an Hagigah necessarily, but just to eat, to be happy. So then we have no proof that the Hagotem Oto means Qur'an Hagigah. And the Gemara went to, to all the proofs. But even says, Velo Yalin Halif Hagi. Do not leave over the hell of the hagiga until the morning. So if you just make a party, what is it talking? No, it means that the korbanot that you'll bring at the time of your party, not korban hagiga, the meat that you bring as a korban to eat at the time of your party, don't leave until the morning. We have another pasuk that says that. Yeah, to maybe to teach me that what? That you get two sins. If you leave over meat that was eaten at the time of the party. And therefore you have no proof that hagotemoto means... So the Gibbalah said, you're right, we have no proof from there. And the proof is Midbar, Midbar. And why is it considered hanging on a hair's breadth? Only because its source is Divre Kabbalah, it's from a Navi, and we don't usually normally learn Torah law from the Pesukim of the Nevi'im. Comes the Gibbalah and continues, Mi'ilot, the laws of Mi'ilah, which means that's using consecrated property for secular use. So the Mishnah said, really, there's no allusion to that in the Torah. Kabbalah says, what are you talking? Mikhtav ketivan. What do you mean? It's bifirush. It's written explicitly in the Torah. Meaning, 
in Sefer Vayikra, it clearly tells us that if a person uses consecrated property of the Mikdash, he has to pay the Mikdash kid in Bahamish. He has to pay back not only the principal, but he has to pay a fifth extra penalty. So the laws of Me'ilah are clearly written. How could you tell me that it's hanging on air's breath? So the Gebara says... No, the Hiddush is the following case that's written in the Mishnah. We have a case like this. You have a Balabayit, you have a boss, we'll call him, that he had money of Hiktish, consecrated money. And that money got mixed up with his personal money. So by mistake, he gave it to a Shaliyah. The Balabite, he forgot, he doesn't realize he's giving him Kodesh money. He gives the Shaliyah money, he says, go buy me something. So it says, If the Shaliyah executed the Shaliyahut properly, meaning let's say the, the owner told him, or the boss told him, take this money, go buy me a talit. And the guy went, and he bought him a talit. So the owner, the boss, gets the sin of Mi'ilah. Why? Even though the Shaliyah committed the Me'ilah, he spent the money. The owner didn't spend the money, he just gave it to him. Who did actually spend the money? Me'ilah means you spent the money. He bought something that's uh, a regular style, he bought a shirt. So the Hadush is, even though the Shaliyah did the sin, the owner gets the sin, not the Shaliyah. However, but let's say if the Shaliyah did not follow instructions. The owner told him to buy a shirt, and the Shaliyah instead bought pants. So now he's not considered a Shaliyah anymore. Then Shaliyah Ma'al. Then the Shaliyah is on his own. He's considered committing Ma'ilah. So the Gebarah says, V'chi Ma'al. Let's go back to the first case. When the Shaliyah executed, meaning he spent the money to buy the shirt. Who gets the sin? The boss, the guy that sent him. V'chi Do we say that this guy commits the sin and another guy gets the Isur? Normally it doesn't work that way. Normally the person that makes the sin, he gets the isur. Like we have a principle, in If I send somebody to kill, and the guy kills, who gets the sin? The killer, not the one that sent him. And then the same thing over here, the hiddush is, that even though I, I sent him, now I didn't know it was uh, hikdish money. This is considered, the law of mi'ilah incidentally is only in a case where you don't know it's bishogeg. If you do it bimezid, that's not a case of mi'ilah. So therefore, the guy, he didn't know it was shogeg, it was, it was, it was Kodesh money, he gave it to the shaliyah. The hadush is that the shaliyah did the sin, he bought the shirt, that means he, 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 he desecrated the money by spending it, and the mishaliyah, the one that sent them, he gets the isur. Hainu karim That's the case of the mishaliyah that says the laws are hanging on a hair's breadth. Meaning it's a hadush. That one guy commits the sin, and the owner, or the sender, I will call him, the sender gets the sin. That's the case that the Mishnah says is hanging on a hair's breadth, meaning it's a hadush. Why? Why is it such a hadush? We have a gizirah shabbat. It says the word hit by mi'ilah, and it says the word hit by tirumah. The Gemara in many places learns connections between the laws of tirumah and mi'ilah based on this hit hit connection. And I'll say, Ma'atam adam kemoto, afkan adam kemoto. Now we know by tirumah, if a person sends his agent to take tirumah, so it's considered as if he did it himself. We was reduced by tirumah that the agent's action is goes back to the owner, is credited to the owner. So even though the owner himself didn't do the action, the shaliyah did it, the owner gets credit as if he did it. So that's the law of shilihut that we learn by tirumah. And it says hit by tirumah, it says hit by mi'ilah. So maybe it is explicit, maybe there's a hadush by mi'ilah that says that even though the shaliyah committed the action of mi'ilah, but the owner gets the discredit in this case. So therefore you want to tell me that this law has no basis, maybe it doesn't have a basis. Maybe its basis is hit, hit by tirumah. And therefore, it's no hadush, meaning it's, it's not, it's not non-explicit. You want to, you have to Give me a case that's a hiddush that's not explicit. That's hanging on a hair's breadth. This case is not hanging on a hair's breadth. I'll tell you maybe hit hit mit terumah. So it goes, Ela marava. So Rava says a different case. Lo nitzlaka Ela lichtetanya. The hiddush of the Mishnah is based on the following b'raita. Niskar ba'alabayit lo niskar shaliyah. Let's say, similar case. The ba'alabayit gave the guy money. At the time he gave him the money, the shaliyah had to spend, to buy something. He didn't know that it was Kodesh. Now before the shaliyah spent the money, the Sender remembered, oh, this is Kodesh money. So it says in that case, 
Shaliyah Ma'al. The Shaliyah now commits the sin. Because at that point now the owner, he remembers that it's Kodesh. Now he cannot be Hayav anymore, because we said Mi'ilah only applies if you're a Shogeg. Once he remembered that it was Kodesh, now he knows he's not a Shogeg anymore. So who's the only one over that's considered a Shogeg? The Shaliyah. So the case is like this. This guy sends his Shaliyah with money. At the time he sends him, nobody knows it's Kodesh. Shaliyah goes. In the interim, the owner says, oh my gosh, this is uh, Kodesh money. So the Hadush of the Biraita is, the Shaliyah now makes the sin when he spends it. Now, the Hadush is over here. Shaliyah Anya. The Shaliyah can answer, my Kavid, what do you want from me? I didn't know anything over here. However, that's the case with hanging on a hair's breadth. Which means even though technically the Shaliyah over here didn't know anything, and the owner over here, he found out before he spent it, so the owner's off the hook. So this, this Hadush, the Shaliyah, even though he didn't know anything over here, it's going to be Hayaf. Amar of Asher, my Kushah, why is it such a Hadush? Every time a person spends money of Hikdesh, it always in a case of shogig. So why is this case? There's no Hadush over here. We know the law of spending money of Hikdesh. A person has holy money. And he uses it, he profanes it. It's only in a case of shogig. So in this case, the owner cannot, the sender cannot be Hayab because he found out about it. So he's, a, he's not a busy, he's not, he's not a shogig, he knows. So who's going to be Hayab over here? Obviously now it's the Shaliyah, because once he knows about it, he doesn't want the Shaliyah to spend it anymore. So he's not, the Shaliyah is not serving the sender anymore, because he doesn't want him to do it. So he's serving himself. So that's not a Hidush, that's the standard case of spending money of Hikdash. So we're back to the question, what's the case of Me'ilah? That the Mishnah is saying is hanging on the air's breath. It's for the following case of the Mishnah. Let's say a person took a, a beam, or a rock, or a beam, that belonged to Hekdesh. If he takes it, he took it out of the possession of Hekdesh into his own possession, that's not considered Me'ilayat. But once he gave it to his friend, at that point, the person that gives it to his friend, he commits Me'ilah. So again, when he takes it from Mekdash, it's not Me'ilah. When he gives it to his friend, at that point, when he transfers it from himself to his friend, then he gets Me'ilah. So the Gemara says, Mekhti, Mishkal Shakla. He took it. Which means, once the guy took it from Mekdash, you should be Hayab Me'ilah right there, you took something from Mekdash. Why did the Mishnah say, or the Baraita say, have to wait till he gives it to his friend? Which even before he gave it to his friend, Mishkal Shekla, he took it, once you take it out of the possession of Mekdash, right at that point you should be Hayab. What does it say, he's only Hayab Me'ilah when he transfers it and gives it to his friend? So the Gemara says, that's the case that's standing on a hair's breadth, because it doesn't make sense this halakha. Why should it be that? Let's say Ekdesh is in a certain possession. Iraq. Guy, when he stole the rock, he took the rock for himself. No mi'ilah yet. What do you mean? Right there, this should be mi'ilah. No, just when he gives it to his friend, then he puts it out of his possession. Even before he gave it to his friend, it should be ayab mi'ilah. So that's a, that's a hard halakha to understand. So it's standing on a hair's breadth. That's the Hadush of the Mishnah. Even so, the law is uh, such that it's not Hayab Meilat that he gives it to his friend. The Gibraltar says, Oh, my Kushia, why is that a question? Dilma Kishmuel, the Amar Shmuel, Hacha. The case of his Toba, the Gizbar, Hamasurot Lo Avne Binyan Askinan. No, I'll tell you why it's not a Hadush. Because we're talking about over here the Gizbar. The Gizbar is the temple treasurer. That all the stones really are entrusted to him. And therefore, which means the trustee of the Beit HaMikdash, they trust him with all the things of Kodesh. So even if he takes a stone of the Kodesh and brings, brings it to his house, it's still considered in the Kodesh. Possession, because he's he, he's the trustee. So therefore, there's not going to be me'ila by a trustee of Kodesh when he brings it home. Because even when he's in the bed, the mikdash is considered in his possession because he's in charge of it. So therefore, bringing it home, we say it's still in the Kodesh possession. So when is the trustee going to be hayab me'ila when it leaves the possession of Kodesh? Leaving the possession of Kodesh is not when it gets to his house. When it gets to his house, he's the trustee. It's still considered in Kodesh possession. Wherever it is, it's in Kodesh possession. But when the trustee gives it to the friend, so now he took it out of. 
possession of Kodesh to his friend. That's going to be Hayab Me'ilah. So that case as well is very logical, very understandable. So basically, at this point, and we'll stop here, but at this point, we're looking for a case of Me'ilah. Give me the case of Me'ilah that's a Hiddush. So let's just review the Sheklav et again. The Gebra said, I'll tell you what the Hiddush is. The case is where, let's say, a person gave his Shaliyah money, right? The guy didn't know it was Kodesh. His money got mixed up. He gave him money. He didn't realize it was Kodesh. And the Shaliyah went, and let's say, bought him a shirt. He fully executed his uh, mission. So the Hadush is, who gets the sin of Me'ilah? Who gets the sin of uh, uh, using the item, using the Kodesh? The owner. The sender. Oh, that's Hadush. <laughs> Since when does one guy sin and another guy gets the uh, Avon? So the Gebra, no, that's not a Hadush. Maybe I have a special deen of Me'ilah. Chet, chet from Tirumah. But just like my Tirumah, it goes after the sender. That one, right, the sender sends somebody to give Turumah, the sender gets credit. So to my Me'ilah, maybe the sender gets the discredit. So no proof, it's it's explicit. So the Gebra says, no, maybe the case, the Hadush case is, in a case where, let's say, the owner gave, the, the sender gave the guy, the Shaliyah money, before he executed, the sender remembered. And the Hadush is what? That now the guy that's going to do the Shaliyahut, he's considered Hayav. So the Gabbana says, uh, even though it's a Hiddush, but it's really not a Hiddush. Because that's always the law of, of, of Me'ilah. Me'ilah only applies to somebody that doesn't know. In this case, the guy didn't know. The, the, guy, the guy who sent him knows. He found out in his brain. He, he realized. So he cannot be Hayab. So who's going to be Hayab in this case? The Shaliyah. That's, that's a normal case of Me'ilah. Bishogeg. So the Gabbana says, maybe the case is talking about where a guy takes a stone of Higdish. He's not Hayab Me'ilah. And he gives it to his friend, at that point he's Hayab Me'ilah. That's Hadush. Why shouldn't he be Hayab immediately? Because I'll tell you why. Because the case is talking about a Gizbar, a trustee. When the trustee takes it to his house, that stone, it's not considered taken out of possession of Igdish yet. Because since he's the trustee, the Gizbar, wherever he has it in his own possession, is considered in the possession of Igdish. So when is he going to be Hayab? When he takes that stone, that is the Gizbar, takes that stone and gives it to somebody else. Then he's going to be Hayab Me'ilah because he transferred it out of somebody's possession. So that's not a Hadush as well. So therefore the Gemara at this point is still waiting to find out, give me the case of the Hiddush of Ma'ilan, the Mishnah, that has no scriptural support, that's hanging on a hair's breadth. And that we'll see on the next da'af. Baruch Amen ve'amen.